Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide, and say... Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area. Are you awake? Whoa! Are you awake now? But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Say what? Dear God, she's going to kill us all. Welcome to the WKRP cast. My name is Donna Stair. And I'm her husband, Alan. This is a week-by-week, episode-by-episode rewatch. We're getting into the music, the trivia, and the fun of WKRP. So, fellow babies, don't touch that dial. It's time for the WKRP cast. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. Welcome back to another WKRP cast. This week we're getting evangelical. Donna, what is our episode? This episode is God Talks to Johnny, the air date December 31st, 1979, written by Hugh Wilson, story editors Dan Gunselman, P.J. Tarakvi, Stephen Campman, Steve Marshall, the executive story consultant Blake Hunter, directed by Will McKenzie. John wakes in the middle of the night and thinks he hears someone. He determines it is God speaking to him. His performance on the radio in the morning is changed because he is touched by God, and he wants to spread the word to everyone. There is sort of a disjointed feel to this episode. It exists kind of out of time. It was written by Hugh Wilson and probably could have only been written by Hugh Wilson. I don't think they'd let any other writer get away with it. This is a navel-gazer. We spend 22 minutes exploring religion because one of the main characters had a religious epiphany. This is definitely not standard sitcom fare. It is Humanitas Bait. The Humanitas Award is a television writing prize that was established in 1974. It was designed to recognize writers who were using the medium of television to promote human dignity, meaning, and freedom. It started out as television only. Movies were added to the award categories in 1995. Barbara Walters said what the Nobel Prize is to literature and the Pulitzer Prize is to journalism, the Humanitas Prize has become for American television. This episode was Hugh Wilson's first Humanitas entry for a teleplay of 30 minutes or less. He lost to the MASH episode Dreams in the 1981 awards. And yes, 1981, since this episode aired on New Year's Eve, another brain-damaged executive move, it was counted as airing in 1980. The awards were given in 81 for shows produced the previous year. Hugh Wilson will win a Humanitas Award with a WKRP script for his third season episode, Venus and the Man. He will also go on to win another Humanitas Award for a Frank's Place script in the 1989 Awards. All right, let's get into this episode. We're in Johnny's apartment. It is nighttime. Johnny is in bed. His feet are sticking out from under the blanket. We see one foot's bare. The other's got a sock hanging halfway off. John's tossing and turning. We hear him asking, who's there and who is it? And he he might be dreaming, but then he wakes up and checks the time. Thinking someone is at the door, he gets out of bed, unlocks, and opens the door to his apartment. What do you want? There is 
there's no one there. He goes out and looks down the stairs and sees no one. We see when Johnny gets out of bed that he's sleeping in jeans and his Ferme t-shirt. No pajamas. The picture on Johnny's door looks like it could be Jim Morrison of the doors, but it's not. This is actually a picture of Rolling Stone's guitarist, Keith Richards. It was taken by Annie Leibovitz for Rolling Stone in May of 1977. An original print of this picture sold at auction in 2017 for $2,100. You love me? (laughs) And you want me to seek knowledge? (laughs) Is this God? You, you, you want me to what? What? Uh, terribly sorry, but I didn't get the last part. Johnny's standing in the middle of his apartment in the dark, hair all askew, and that's our cold open. WKRP in Cincinnati. We come back to the studio. Johnny is at the mic, giving the time as 8.45 a.m. and going into Arrow Through Me by Paul McCartney and Wings. He's kind of getting a twofer out of this one, the way he introduces that. He makes it sound like that wah, wah, wah is the end of one song, and then he starts into another song. But that wah, wah, wah is actually the start of Arrow Through Me. This was a single from Wings' 1979 album, Back to the Egg. You remember, we've seen an egg promo poster in the control room already this season. It's 8.45 in Cincinnati. That was one record. Here's another one. This was considered the poppiest song on the album. As a single, it peaked at number 29 on the Billboard Hot 100. Ultimate classic rock contributor Nick DeRizzo has rated Arrow Through Me as Wing's eighth best song of their entire career. The poster on the inside of the studio door is a promo poster for The Motels. This is from their debut album, Motels, by the group The Motels. It was released in the fall of 1979. The single, Total Control, from this album was a hit in France and Australia, but it only peaked at number 109 here in the U.S. The Motels won't have a charted hit in the U.S. until 1982's Only the Lonely. Now, I was looking at the picture on this poster, and it kind of freaks (laughs) me out. That's a guy in the dress, and he's very oiled up with some super leathery-looking skin. And he's way too happy. (laughs) So Andy enters with a stack of cards. He tells Johnny he was listening to him as he drove into work this morning. Andy's not trying to sound any alarm bells, but he is looking at Johnny pretty closely. He told him he sounded very bright and very up. Are you uh, taking narcotics? (laughs) (laughs) Johnny assures him he is not on narcotics and he feels fine. And he uses the term natch. It's all, I'm all, it's all natch or something. It's natch. This is on a natch. Andy says, okay. He hesitantly opens the door to leave when Johnny calls him back. Andy, thank you for being you. (laughs) Andy looks at Johnny, turns around, comes back into the studio and closes the door. Okay, Fever, what's going on? Big red flags all over the place. (laughs) Thank you for being you. (laughs) Behind Andy, we see 
a poster with the word propaganda in a really stylized script across the top, and then a list of bands at the bottom. This is a promo poster for an album. It's a compilation of new wave artists. The full album title is Propaganda, A Blatant Attempt to Influence Your Musical Taste. It was released in 1979. Some of the bands featured on this album are the Granati Brothers, David Kubinik, Joe Jackson, The Police, The Reds, and Squeeze. The cover art is pretty cool. It's a painting featuring Chinese leader Chairman Mao on stage wailing on electric guitar for an audience of Chinese citizens. Members of the Red Army are also playing instruments in the band. Johnny turns to face Andy. Did you ever hear a voice and there's nobody in the room? Andy tells him, yeah, sometimes he hears a voice in his head. He guesses it's his brain talking to him. Johnny asks Andy, what's his brain saying? Well, mostly I'll be uh, feeling great, having a good time, enjoying myself, and it'll say... You're going to die. (laughs) Johnny gets up and walks over to Andy. Putting his arm around him, Johnny tells him to forget all that stuff and that life here on Earth, it's just a warm-up for what's coming. Interestingly, he uses the metaphor of betting and a casino for heaven. We're just playing Penny Andy down here. The big casino is up there. Johnny points up as he says this. Andy looks up in the direction that Johnny's pointing. You know, John, I think the best thing for the both of us is if I just get right on out of here. (laughs) Okay. You have a good time with the show there. Johnny tells Andy to have a good day, and he sits back down at the mic. Johnny is loving his job right now. He grabs an album. Oh, boy, more music. (laughs) Sacred music. B.B. King. Mm. Some random B.B. King trivia. His real name is Riley B. King. In the late 1940s, while working at a Memphis radio station as a disc jockey and singer, Riley was given the nickname Beale Street Blues Boy. That was later shortened to just Blues Boy, then just the initials B.B. Beginning in about 1949, he was known only as B.B., both personally and professionally, for the rest of his life. Johnny is queuing up the next song when he hears a voice. John. Johnny hops up from his chair and looking heavenward. Yes, yes, Lord, what is it? <laughs> Herb hands Johnny the new advertising copy. <laughs> Johnny pats Herb on the shoulder, and he gets back to work. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Don't let Herb go anywhere. It's time. Herb Darling, fashion alert. The jacket has interlocking silver diamond designs with a black background, white dress shirt with a nice dark red tie, and dark red pants that match the tie. The jacket is killing on this one. I think that line of diamonds pattern that kind of runs, you know, and down the arms, it, it gives it a snakeskin feel. It's really a <laughs> weird texture, that jacket. Now we head into the bullpen. We open on this scene with Bailey sitting at her desk. She has five books open and lying on top of one another. Johnny enters and asks Bailey if she believes in a supreme being. She tells Johnny she thinks so. He asks her... What's he like? Well, first of all, she's black. And this is Bailey telling a joke. Johnny's caught off guard. 
Bailey says she's kidding. Johnny asks her if she believes in God. Bailey rolls her chair over and puts her feet up on the arm of the couch where Johnny's sitting. I guess I sort of agree with Spinoza and Einstein. Bailey then goes into what their theory about God was. She then goes on to talk about Gandhi and his views. She's starting to go into Christian beliefs when Johnny interrupts her. Bailey, you think God talks to people? Oh, I doubt it. (laughs) Johnny tells her that God talks to a friend of his. Bailey asks Johnny if it's him. Maybe. Lunch. (laughs) Bailey was getting heavy. Yeah. Let's try and sum this up in an easy-to-use travel size. First off, Baruch Spinoza. She mentioned Einstein and Spinoza together, and actually Einstein said, He believed in the God of Spinoza. Well, Spinoza's God was a creator God. Spinoza believed that God existed in the logical beauty of nature, physics, and science. Spinoza believed God created the amazing system of the universe, and he lives in the beautiful interactions of the laws he created to govern the universe. This means Spinoza did not believe in a God who was involved with us or our day-to-day existence. So Spinoza's God is probably not a God who would talk to a morning disc jockey. Bailey also mentions the God of Gandhi, where the God of Spinoza and Einstein is kind of a big picture creator God. The God of Gandhi goes the other way. Gandhi believes that God is the bit of perfection that lives within all of us. He said God is truth and love. God is ethics and morality. God is fearlessness. God is the source of light and life, and yet he is above and beyond all these. God is conscience. God is even the atheism of the atheist. For in his boundless love, God permits the atheist to live. Whoa, heavy. (laughs) It really felt like there when Bailey rolled her chair over to the couch, she stopped being Bailey Quarters and was suddenly Jan Smithers. Jan is very much into world religions and religious studies. Her life, almost since WKRP, has involved extensive research in religion and meditation. And then Bailey's back. Bailey's ready to go deep on the whole religion thing until she's confronted by God talking to a friend of hers. That's when it's lunch. (laughs) Before we leave here, there's an Xavier U pennant behind Johnny's head above the couch. Xavier University is a Jesuit Catholic university that was founded in 1831 in Cincinnati. It's annually ranked among the nation's best universities. Les comes into the bullpen heading to his office. Johnny sees another target, so he hops up and follows him. Les, old buddy, what's happening? Internationally or domestically? (laughs) And now a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five-time Buckeye NewsHawk Award winner, Les Nessman. This is the Les Nessman Bandage Report. Now here's Donna Stair with her report about Les Nessman. Left Pointer finger. This has been a look at the bandage placement for Silver Sow and Copper Cobb award-winning journalist Les Nessman. Johnny asks Bailey to leave so that he can talk with Les. Let's talk dirty. Well, John, as much as I enjoy being one of the boys, I really don't like Les. 
Johnny waves Les's concern away, and then he clears his throat. Do you believe in God? Les is caught off guard by the question. I thought we were going to talk dirty, John. And he looked a little disappointed. John tells him he was just talking, but... Les goes into a risque story about three little pigs. And three little pig jokes are a thing. (laughs) Google it. They're out there. So Johnny stops him from talking dirty, and Les asks Johnny to repeat the question. Johnny asks him again if he believes in God. I most certainly do, John. Why do you ask? Johnny then asks Les if he thinks God talks to people. Les tells him he does, but it's rare. God talked to Noah. And he talked to Moses, and he talked to Mr. Finster. But he doesn't just sit around and chat with people a lot. Johnny asks about this Mr. Finster on Les's list. He explains that he and his father owned a laundromat together. God told Mr. Finster to get out of the laundromat business and go to work for the city. And you believed all that? Les says, sure, why not? Well, Johnny's feeling a little bit more comfortable now about opening up and telling Les about his experience. Johnny asks Les what he would say if he told him that God talked to him. Les leans back in his chair and putting the fingertips of his two hands together, he's looking like he's really thinking about what Johnny has just said. I'd say, get out of my office. (laughs) Yeah, Les. And get help. Johnny turns and walks out of Les's office. That got ugly fast. Yeah, it felt like Les just immediately shut down. And I'm wondering, is he saying Johnny's no Mr. Finster? Maybe. Who would talk to someone like Johnny? God wouldn't. We move out to the lobby where Jennifer is reading a National Geographic magazine at her desk. She answers a phone call. Good morning, WKRPAM. Home of the hits where your advertising dollar talks louder. (laughs) It's a wrong number. The phone rings again. Jennifer answers it with the same greeting as before. I'm sorry, there is no Bubba here. (laughs) Quite all right, thank you. The National Geographic magazine that Jennifer's reading is the October 1979 issue. So she's caught up with the current issue. The cover is a picture of Chinese school children. The headline, Scenic Guilin, links China's past and present. National Geographic is the official monthly magazine of the National Geographic Society. It's one of the most widely read magazines in history. National Geographic magazine was first published in September of 1888. Thanks to L.A. Jamie Schmidt for identifying this episode's issue of Nat Geo. And I wanted to mention, I really had to answer the phone the way Jennifer is answering the phone. The first station where I worked as an account executive, we had to answer, thank you for calling WRVI, where your advertising dollar works harder. It was printed on a little card on all of the phones throughout the station. We thought it sounded just as dumb as Jennifer does, but we all did it. Because you never knew when it was the boss calling in, and he's the one who printed up the little cards. I got caught once or twice, not (laughs) saying the whole thing. Johnny enters the lobby, and the phone rings a third time. Jennifer tells Johnny that it's been one call after another. WKRP, home of the advertising hit dollars, what is it? (laughs) No, I'm sorry, Mr. Carlson can't be disturbed. He's reevaluating his priorities. Johnny wants to know if the big guy is really busy in his office. No, I think he's asleep. Johnny begins pacing the lobby. He's hitting the palm of his hand on top of his coffee mug, and you get that thwack noise that starts to irritate Jennifer. Jennifer finally asks Johnny if she can help. 
Well, Johnny asked Jennifer if Mr. Carlson is religious. Well, he goes to church every Sunday and he teaches Sunday school. I know that. Johnny says that that would make him some kind of an expert then, wouldn't it? Mr. Carlson? Yeah. On what? (laughs) On religion. Oh. (laughs) Jennifer's a little confused. Expert on what? (laughs) Not much he could be an expert on as far as Jennifer's concerned. Johnny asked Jennifer if she knows anything about that stuff. And Jennifer tells him that she knows a little. Name a chapter and a verse. Johnny sits on the corner of Jennifer's desk. He's intrigued. Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 25. Staring into space, Jennifer quotes, And they were both naked. <laughs> the man and his wife. And we're not ashamed. Jennifer looks at Johnny. He has crossed his legs, suddenly a bit uncomfortable. Her quote is very accurate and comes from the King James Version of the Bible, a classic. We're getting these little vignettes where Johnny's going around talking to everybody, and now we move to Carlson's office, and we get some awesome physical comedy with art. He's trying to adjust the blinds in his office, and this has the same big gag feel to it as that life raft that he had on his desk. He's fighting with those blinds, pulling the cords, trying to open them evenly, but one side is always higher than the other each time he tries, and you can just feel his frustration. He pulls the cord, and it just comes completely off and lands down on the floor in front of him. So Johnny enters his office. Carlson looks at Johnny, and he's mad. He points at his office door. Knock, and I mean it. John uses his coffee mug, taps it on Carlson's desk. Johnny tells Mr. Carlson that word around the station is that, you know, he's a pretty religious person. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Johnny begins to say something as Carlson struggles with opening his desk drawer. He's tugging and pulling and he's becoming upset because he can't get it open. He gives the drawer a big yank with both hands. The drawer comes out and Carlson loses his balance, stumbling backward. The drawer flying from his grip and crashing through his office window. 14 floors down to the ground. That was the most unexpected and just it moved so fluidly and so quickly. And when he smashed that window, it was just hilarious. But the real capper, Carlson turns towards Johnny. He's trying to regain his composure. He's standing in front of this broken window and the blinds he'd been messing with, they come crashing to the floor. (laughs) Johnny tells him, He'll come back another time. Come back sometime when you're not here. (laughs) Hurt milks that for the longest, standing there in the laugh. It is so great. The applause just kept going on and on. It just keeps going. It was so great. Now we're in Johnny's apartment. Johnny's sitting on his bed, and it's a close-up on him. He's looking around his apartment as if he is waiting for something. The camera moves to the left, and we see Venus sitting. It looks like he's sitting on an overturned trash can holding a bottle of club soda and watching Johnny. Next, we see Andy, who rolls his eyes at Venus. Andy and Venus both look confused. Johnny looks very intense, but you can tell Andy and Venus don't know why they're there. Andy reaches into a bag of chips, making the bag crinkle very loudly. Johnny shoots Andy a dirty look. Andy freezes, waits a bit, then very carefully pulls his hand from the bag, holding a chip. He puts it in his mouth, and then the crunch is very loud. He gets another (laughs) dirty look from Johnny. Andy tries to say something to Johnny, but Johnny shushes him. Venus asks Johnny why they are there. You're here because I 
You invited you over. Andy has a mouthful of chips. You insisted we come over here. How old is this club soda, man? I don't know. You got any wine or anything? <laughs> Johnny tells them that if he can stay straight, they can too. They just need to listen. To listen to what? All right, so just then they hear someone yell. You're a bum! You always were a bum! You'll always be a bum! That's not true! <laughs> the voice keeps yelling, telling whoever it is to look at how they're dressed and to get a job, and Johnny's reacting to this. They're breaking their mother's heart. Johnny looks at Venus and Andy asking if they heard that. That was next door, Johnny. Maybe so, but that's exactly what my father said to me. (laughs) All right, now Andy's getting a little concerned and he tells Johnny to sit down. He gets up and goes over to Johnny, handing Venus the bag of chips. Now what is happening here? Venus moves from (laughs) his seat, the overturned trash can, to the chair where Andy just got up and Andy shoots him a look. Well, you got up, man. (laughs) Johnny tells him that maybe he has some real mental problems and Andy asks him why he would say that. I heard voices. Actually, a voice. It was like somebody right next to my ear, you know? I looked around the room. Nobody there. Andy sits next to Johnny on the bed and asks if that's why they are there. Yeah, I want some witnesses. When Venus swooped in, got the good chair and the chips in one move (laughs) right there. So Venus asks how long Johnny wants them to stay. Johnny says he doesn't know. Damn, I didn't bring my jammies or nothing. (laughs) You know, Venus is such a sharp dresser. I wonder what his jammies look like. Oh, I'm sure they're nice. (laughs) I bet they're silk. Johnny's a bit upset. He asks them to just be quiet and listen. They all sit in silence for a bit. Then Venus tries to be funny. Venus is funny. (laughs) Hi, Johnny. How's it going? Listen. Johnny points his finger at Venus and starts to get mad. Andy calms Johnny down. He's patting him on the back. Andy asks Johnny to tell them about this voice. Well, Johnny says that he's not bragging or anything, but he thinks it's a pretty highly placed voice. Wouldn't happen to be... uh... God's voice, would it? Um, I think so. Oh, man. I know, I know. I'm crazy, right? I'm nuts. Andy asks him what the voice is saying. Johnny, who's all jumpy now, says he's got a fridge full of food, and why don't they just all have something to eat? Forget about this. He goes to the refrigerator and pulls out a stalk of celery, Offering it to Venus and Andy. We see the word biologicals on the front of Johnny's refrigerator. This means it's an old recycled refrigerator from a research lab. Scientists usually put things like blood, viruses, bacteria, and fungus in the biologicals fridge. Using a biologicals refrigerator to store food sounds a little gross, even if you got one cheap. Although it makes for a good joke, the reality is lab refrigerators are usually a lot better at maintaining temperatures than home units. We also noticed the weed plant we saw in I Want to Keep My Baby is no longer there. It was sitting to the far right of Johnny's kitchen counter. The blind to hide it is still there, but no plant. Did Johnny maybe get rid of it, worried that God might not approve? Andy asks Johnny again, what the voice says. Johnny tells them that the voice said he loved him. And Andy said, well, that doesn't sound so bad. Johnny goes on to say that the voice wants him to do something. Do what? Johnny explains that he can't make it out. 
Then he demonstrates what he hears. He's standing behind Venus, and he leans down, talking into Venus's ear. As he is speaking, he's gesturing with the celery stalk. And this celery, um, it's obviously not very fresh. <laughs> it looks pretty limp and rubbery. John, I love you. And I want you to... <laughs> It's muffled. It's just, it's crazy. Andy asks him what he thinks the voice said. He finally tells them what he thinks the voice is saying. John, I want you to be a golf pro. Johnny then starts eating the leaves off the stalk of celery. Give Howard Hessman a prop and stand back. He gets some good lines out of a stalk of celery. (laughs) We then make a very awkward transition to a hospital waiting room full of uncredited people. Mr. Carlson walks into a hospital waiting room. He's wearing an overcoat over his pajamas. Carlson goes to the window where a nurse is. Uh, Hi, you got a doctor fever here. Dr. Fever? What is that, a joke? Look, it's late here. We're all very tired. You think you got problems? Let me tell you something. We see it all here. All the tragedy, all the panic, broken bodies, blood, pain. Carlson starts walking away and sees Johnny come out of some doors. Johnny thanks Carlson for coming down. Mr. Carlson tells him that it's four in the morning and he wants to know why he's there. Johnny tells him he will explain later, but first he wants him to meet some people. This is Earl, who's been shot. (laughs) This is Inez. She's having a nervous breakdown. They say hi to each other. And I thought this was a little awkward moment here. I don't know what uh, Inez and Earl have to do with anything. Yeah, just Johnny's kind of introducing them without any preamble, no explanation, and then they just walk away from them. Yeah, it doesn't really move the story forward, but oh well. And the nurse, Earl, and Inez are all uncredited. Normally, we'll get a trivia entry on IMDb with info about uncredited players, but nothing on this episode. We also reached out to L.A. Jamie Schmidt. He's usually pretty good at identifying day players. Jamie couldn't come up with anything either. If you know the names of the nurse, Inez, or Earl, get on our Facebook page and let us know. On the wall behind Inez is a Woodsy the Owl Give a Hoot poster. We talked about Woodsy Owl and his public service campaign back in Season 1. Give a hoot, don't pollute. Art asked Johnny what this is all about. Everybody thinks I'm crazy. I know that. (laughs) Because I talk to God. Johnny says he is crazy. He tells Carlson he's going to have to check himself into wherever they keep the other loonies. Get into a little goon babble, get some Librium. Which brings us to... The line of the episode. There's nothing left for me but one of those TV shows. Golfing for God with the Reverend Dr. (laughs) Johnny. with the Holy Spirit today, shall we? I love goon babble. (laughs) (laughs) Carlson sits Johnny down and he whispers to him, asking if he talked to God. Johnny tells him he did. What did he say? Johnny tells him what he told Andy and Venus. He tells Carlson that God told him he loved him, and then it got mumbled. It's just crazy. Carlson, still whispering, asks Johnny why it's crazy. And Johnny jumps up from his chair, getting a bit louder. You think people talk to God? God talks to people? Why not? Why me, then? 
Why not you? Johnny walks away from Art. What do you say I try to book a double room for us here? I mean, you're... So Carlson explains that God talks to people all the time, but Johnny questions this. Just look at all the signs, runs. All you got to be able to do is see them. Johnny tells Carlson he's not talking about signs. I am talking about a voice that says, Hi, John, how's it going? God said that. Crazy, huh? Well, no, it's just I thought he'd be a little more formal. <laughs> I'd be a little more formal than that, you know. God of Charlton Heston <laughs> is a little more formal. How art thou, Jonathan? Yes, there you go. <laughs> Johnny can't believe that Mr. Carlson appears to be taking him seriously. You think that God did speak to me? It's possible. But I doubt it. <laughs> Why? Carlson explains that Johnny said it sounded muffled. Well, listen, Buster, if God had something he wanted to say, you'd hear it. Then Carlson comments that Johnny never has gotten messages right. The one about taking office equipment? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You thought I wanted you to take the office equipment home. I thought that was a great point on Art's part there. If God wants you to hear the message, you're going to hear it. That's true. So Art tells Johnny he thinks it's okay. He hears a voice that says it loves you or to seek knowledge. I think if I were you, I'd uh, look on this thing as a very special gift. Johnny looks relieved. Now, if that voice starts telling you that, you know, I want you to hang around the airport naked, then perhaps you better drop back by in. Johnny assures Art that this voice would never say that. The voice that tells me to get naked at the airport's my own. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, I'm wondering about something. If Johnny had been able to talk to Art in his office earlier in the day when he knocked down the blinds, do you think that would have eliminated the visit to the hospital at four in the morning? I, I think so, because Carlson would have told him the same thing that he told him in the emergency room, and he was able to calm him down and get him to leave. Carlson asked Johnny if he's ready to get out of there, and Johnny asked him if he thinks he is sane. Of course you are. Come on, let's go. Johnny thanks Carlson, and they start to leave. And then Johnny begins to ramble. You know, there is one thing that just gives me a problem, though. Huh? Yeah, I, I just can't go along with the golf pro stuff. What? Yeah. Look, uh, forget the golf pro business, okay? I'm not going for it. Well, there's a lot of other stuff. Quiet, John. I'm sorry. Mr. Carlson quickly ushers Johnny through the doors and outside. Now, I was wondering, shouldn't Johnny be heading to the station? If Art got there at 4 a.m., it's about 4.15 or later now. Johnny's on the air at 6. He's going to need a little time to get some coffee going and to pull his music for his show. He probably needs to go from the hospital to the station. I'm just going to check myself into the 8th floor or wherever they keep all the loose loonies. We come back for our final scene, and it's in the lobby. Herb is sitting on Jennifer's desk talking to her. Jennifer is reading a Paris Match magazine. Paris Match magazine is written in French. This is a September 25th, 1979 issue with Jane Fonda on the cover. Now, wait a minute. How can Jennifer be reading this magazine? We learned in Jennifer's Home for Christmas that she doesn't speak French. Hey, Jennifer. You never told us you spoke French. I don't. Paris Match existed under various names starting in the 1920s. 
It was launched in November of 1949 under the name Paris Match and continues by that name today. The issue that Jennifer is reading is available on eBay for $19. Thanks to L.A. Jamie Schmidt for finding the date on that magazine. Herb is intent on getting Jennifer to agree with what he is saying. I'm telling you, Jennifer. In Paris, France, all the guys have a wife and a mistress, and everybody knows about it, and it's okay. You think it's okay? Yeah, I think it's okay. Herb looks at her with a hopeful expression. Do? Sure. Send a Frenchman over to my apartment tonight. Ah. (laughs) So close. Dashed again. Johnny comes into the lobby. Herb jumps up. It's Moses! Heard any voices lately? Of course, Herb's going to give him a hard time. He's John- mean. Yeah, he's he being is. Mean. Johnny tells Herb he's not heard any voices. Come on now, tell us all about it, John of Arc. As Herb is laughing, Johnny looks up towards the sky. Hey, God. John snaps his finger and points at Herb, then walks out of the lobby. Herb smiles. He's looking heavenward with kind of this uncertain grin. Then he gets second thoughts, thinking that God might be watching. He heads out of the lobby, but he turns just before going out the door and looking up, he points to the sky and says, Excuse me. Herb mentioned John of Arc. He was referring to Joan of Arc, an illiterate French peasant girl who lived from 1412 to 1431. Joan claimed to speak regularly with saints and see visions of them. The saints told her that she must help Charles VII come to power as the rightful king of France. She's considered a heroine of France for her role in the Hundred Years' War. She did several amazing things militarily to help France win battles. Her abilities were considered supernatural and dangerous. She was charged with heresy, among several other crimes, and burned at the stake by a pro-English bishop in May of 1431. She would have been about 19 years old. Joan of Arc was canonized as a saint in May of 1920 by Pope Benedict XV. That's going to do it for God Talks to Johnny. What's up next week, Donna? Next week, we will be discussing a family affair. Andy's sister, Carol, is visiting. Andy sets her up on a blind date with Johnny. But when Carol visits the radio station, she meets Venus and they set up their own date. Andy does not approve, but then he has to prove he is not a racist. Bonus, we'll have comments during the show from Allison Argo, who played Carol Travis. That's it for this episode of the WKRP cast. If you'd like to watch along with us, make sure to check our show notes and find us on social media. Follow our Facebook page at WKRP cast. Got a question, comment or correction? Let us know about it. Write us, WKRPcast at gmail.com. And remember to please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye. May the good news be yours. The WKRPcast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders.
Godfellow, baby, is Booker!